later Blower guys to you who does Apocalypse Confidential and then we have Sam who was a friend of Adam Parfrey the founder of Feral House and Feral House had a pretty big impact on me personally and the entirety of this project the aesthetics are a little bit different you know obviously because Feral House is very sort of it comes out of that LA nomad search and destroy kind of world more or less you know it's adjacent to a lot of the kind of early zine culture that had been going on and uh yeah so sam is adam's biographer and i want to ask him a few questions basically about it's funny the first time for, I, I bought apocalypse culture I think my senior year of high school at this place in Silver Lake called Wacky Wackos. And it, it was this kind of novelty shop that sells like a lot of Feral House books, uh, a lot of like esoterica, kind of tiki adjacent stuff. And there's like a lot of uh, overlapping between tiki culture and, you know, with like Boyd Rice. And, and I was just really blown away that you could have an anthology or a compendium of outsider information you know like it, you had genesis peorage next to john zerzan who is you know a anarcho-primitivist and then you have savitri devi and, and hakeem bay the the autonomous anarchist. It was just like such a fucking incredible mindfuck of different things, and it never, it never codified itself as as trying to be edgy or edge lording. It just kind of existed, and I think that's how a lot of Feral House was before his his sister took over. I uh, I think that was a pretty good description of apocalypse culture, though, and th that was my first encounter with Adam in Feral House. And, you know, I had read lots of weird, bizarre shit before that. Um, I was really into, well, Hakeem Bey and his temporary autonomous zone. And, and then through him, you know, Discordianism and Church of the Subgenius and, you know, was, was just trying to find um, as, as weird and offbeat stuff as I could. And uh, I, yeah, I saw Apocalypse Culture and that kind of, I, I don't know. There was something about that book that, um, yeah, upended my worldview to a degree that no other book had. Um, just the sheer force of it. Um, and yeah, there, there's quite a cast of characters in there. And it, you know, there were, I got the distinct impression that there was something about Adam's curatorial mindset with that book that was special. You know, not many people could could throw all these people in one book and, you know, have it have the impact that that apocalypse culture did. And yeah, after I read that book, I kind of went went on a search for more Feral House books and um, got more and more curious about who this guy, Adam Parfrey, was, who to me, it probably also to a lot of people felt like some kind of a you know, a uh, man behind the curtain or, 
you know, this um, sword, dark sorcerer of sorts. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I got to meet him, I, I found him to be incredibly down to earth, um, which, yeah, in a way was surprising. But um, also, you know, the more I learned about Adam, the more I learned how his relationship to this material and understanding of it, um, I don't know, in a way it was kind of grounding, you know, because he wasn't afraid to um, approach subjects that most other people would scoff at. And I, I, yeah, I think there's actually a kind of humanity in that um, yeah. to, to do it in a way that like, you know, lets these people speak without moralizing it, without, um, you know, giving trigger warnings, with, like, <laughs> you know, without dumbing it down. Um, because, and someone brought this up in a conversation I had about him recently that he kind of gave his audience and his readership credit, you know, like he didn't feel the need to um, speak down to them. It's like, here, here's this material. I trust you can handle it. And uh, <laughs> just kind of let it, let it go. And that's really rare in publishing. Um, yeah. And uh, especially now, because depending on whatever your sort of inclination is aesthetically there's always uh, it always has to fit a kind of branding schema and i think i think it's increasingly gotten worse as information has proliferated and essentially communized all knowledge mm. it it presents itself as being uh more um more like there's more choice in the matter you have actually more autonomy of information but i think this lack of curatorial secrecy or as you called him a sorcerer because it doesn't exist in physical objects is actually just sort of blended everything together and created this really weird nebulous creature of its own so yeah i, I think it's really interesting that you you talk about him in that way. So how did you get to know Adam? Like what? Um, yeah, well, that that's a really crazy story in its own right. Um, so yeah, like I told you, I discovered apocalypse culture. And uh, at the time I was living in Portland and, you know, I, I started encountering more of his books through this underground bookstore, Counter Media. Um, yeah, so I was like really gaining an appreciation of him and Feral House. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I moved up to Port Townsend. This was like 2008. And then I found out there was this esoteric book conference happening in Seattle that year. And I, I looked at the roster of, of publishers and, and people who were going to be there and Feral House was one of them. And so I went there, um, but I kind of arrived late on the second day. Um, and yeah, I did go to see some of the lectures, but I kind of wanted to wait to go to like the book fair until afterwards, but I came too late. Adam had already left. I was, you know, just wanted to meet him. And, uh, but right next to him was Michael Moynihan, uh. who is, uh, yeah, the author of, uh, Lords of Chaos, the, infamous book about black metal and, and he was also in blood axis the yes yeah yeah who's kind of like i love them that uh 
they they're I guess you would call them neo folk, right? You know, in that whole um, scene. But uh, yeah, he's a musician himself, but writer, also publisher. At the time, he was putting out books through his Dominion Press. And so, yeah, I saw he was right next to Feral House. I didn't know it was Michael at that time. Uh, but yeah, we got to talking and he's, you know, I told him I live in Port Townsend. He's like, oh, Adam lives there. I'm like, oh, no way. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm actually going over there after the conference. Maybe you can help me with directions. And he, you know, passed me this like handwritten scribbled note of directions. And I, I just scanned down to the address and it was literally next door to me wow <laughs> yeah which was just really um really crazy and <laughs> didn't really know how to deal with that um and yeah i didn't tell michael at that time because it was just too weird but i i did say you know I, I i work at this pizza shop downtown why don't you guys come by i'd love to meet adam and yeah the next day uh him adam and his wife jody at the time and his wolf dog loki stopped by my pizza joint to get some pizza and talk, talk Feral House. So, <laughs> and yeah, Michael that- Moynihan uh, was famously uh, approached by the FBI over an alleged attempt to assassinate George H.W. Bush. Is that correct, too? Something like that. So, yeah, there's yes. something like he, like the FBI, like showed up at his doorstep and were like, I, it's it's so funny because a lot of these kind of like Gen X edgelord type of people, like they kind of like s- seriously got misconstrued uh, as conspirators in like some deeper sense. Uh, but really, I think it was just kind of a fascination and an openness to extreme things Um and and uh, and just sort of like freedom of inquiry. And I really like what you said about how Adam presented the information, and it in it was completely devoid of moral moralism. It was basically like, here it is. You make your own decision, and we will put all of it together. Um, and I think that's a really really interesting way of doing things. You know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's the only way of doing things, the, like the only way of approaching information in an honest way, uh, you know, which, yeah, you really do not find um, at all. I mean, it, it seems like um, opinions have become so weaponized that um, not to take one itself is kind of, you know, you're risking something. And now uh, they call it uh, the big threat according to BuzzFeed, is nihilism. (laughs) It's it's really, really funny. I mean, they say kind of like all of the vibe shift stuff. I don't know if you caught up with that, but our like weird small internet art movement of substacks and podcasts basically got turned into this whole thing that was basically like, oh, these kids, these like cool downtown New York, like I live in Texas, I don't even live in fucking New York, are like responding to wokeness through political nihilism and like taking money from Peter Thiel and this like shadowy dark party scene where like people are doing drugs and they're like fully amoral and there's like no 
um, connection and they like Trump aesthetically. They think he's really funny instead of a Nazi. Like, and, and, and so it, to me, it's really funny because as these kind of moralistic, uh, simplistic narratives have, have increasingly shattered NATO on International Women's Day being like, uh, we stand with the brave women fighters of Ukraine and you zoom in and it's literally a fucking black sun and you're like, whoa, you just like are showing pictures of like <laughs> neo-Nazi chicks. Uh, uh, this is fucking crazy. Oh yeah, and you also, when it comes to this whole thing, I just pray it gets solved. I don't really have a, I don't really have a side <laughs> per se. I just want it, I just want as little death and destruction as possible that's basically it but yeah no mm -hmm. I, it, it's funny that nihilism has become the new kind of scapegoat term you almost saw that with parfri too you know but it was coming more from the uh atlanticist neo neo conservative revival that was kind of um against him and like jim goad and stuff right Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, him and that scene were characterized as nihilist for sure. <laughs> definitely misanthropes. Um, you know, um, God forbid you have any fucking fun. <laughs> it makes you a misanthrope. <laughs> like <laughs> That's the thing. I, I mean, if you look at the material, which most of these people who lay these accusations out don't really don't. I've talked to many of them who mm -hmm. kind of fall under this spell that yeah, Adam and company were part of some crypto fascist infiltration of the subculture. And, you know, that was one reason I reached out to you is because I, I noticed um, amongst you and, and certain people around you, a very similar thing is happening, you know, in the sense that I've seen you guys be accused of the very same shit, um, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I, which is yeah, really it's, it's, funny because <laughs> I, I, I'm not an ideological person at all. I think, I, I mean, ideology has proved itself to be a horrible placeholder for material reality. I, you know, and I, I think mm -hmm. it's been more properly expressed through art and through poetry. And so I try to turn, so to me, it's all art. You know, I, I right. I'm not really an ideological person. Yeah. The, the whole edgy thing, is really really weird because I'm like super fucking liberal in a lot of ways. <laughs> like that's the that's the irony of it. I'm just for free speech and you know I like guns and that's basically it. I'm pro just anybody who wants to do their own thing who's not gonna who's not a fucking pain in the ass who's not gonna fucking you know cancel people. Like that's it. I mean I don't really right yeah. Yeah, I think Adam, you know, um, was in a very similar camp um, in the sense that yeah, he was not an ideologue at all. I think he, in one interview, called himself a pot-smoking libertarian. Um, you know, but but he wasn't he wasn't afraid of people and he wasn't afraid of ideas. And more than that, he was willing to court them, no matter how extreme or opposing they may have been. Like I can't tell you how many people recall going to parties uh, at Adams, um, specifically in LA, he had these kind of infamous salons uh. at this house in the Hollywood Hills. He had, um, you know, him and Jody had this storybook 
home, this kind of a mansion. And once in a while they would do these salons where they would have authors speak. Uh, they would have like a, a topic, like one was psychedelics. Another um, was Weimar Germany. You know, they, they had, yeah, just these parties and people spoke about just what a crazy group of people it was, you know, everyone from anarchists to radical feminists to Jewish Holocaust revisionists to, you know, gay Nazis. I mean, you know, and, and that was the fun for Adam. Like he, he loved uh, having this kind of carnival around him. And I, I liked in a podcast you did recently, you went into the the archetype of the, the Joker or the Jester. I think Adam very much embodied that spirit, um, you know, and, and yeah, was kind of a hoaxer in many ways. I mean, a, a lot of the shit he did was, uh, they were pranks, you know, they, it was performance art. It was aesthetics. It was fucking with people because, you know, people are so gullible. And um, I think he, he liked, um, you know, playing the devil if it, you know, um, got people, got a rise out of people. I love the quote at the beginning of Apocalypse Culture. There's nothing more dangerous than stupidity by Werner Herzog. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, stupidity is dangerous, but it's also sacred. It depends. You know, there's layers of stupidity. It's like my friend Angelicism01 wrote a pretty well-circulated substack called The Retard List, and he had the retards, which were like the literal retards, and as he actually explains it, the stupidity of the smartest people in the world, and then you have the good retards, which is the retard in quotation, which is is kind of like Bowie's album Heroes, like the way he annotated each track in quotations gave it sort of like, it, it was kind of like a linguistic play on the notion of the hero. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was almost like heroes in a, in a kind of tongue in cheek way. So, but on the good retard list, you had a lot of SoundCloud rappers. You had a lot of people who embodied the kind of spirit of the moment and were mm-hmm. not moralizing. We're not ideologues. We're not selling a kind of fake narrative. They were, they were just embodying and becoming and and to me, that's that's a really interesting point that you make about becoming a joker, <laughs> uh, you know. And I think about that, you know, the, just wanting to play stupid, you know. Mm-hmm. And and but for one of the things I'm wondering, like, just as an independent project, would you say it? his sort of playfulness and his unwillingness to kind of cast himself as a side or sell out because selling out back then was, was,